0: I'm here with Ethan Castle ahead of episode 76. Ethan, you're on a roll now, heading into your second season. What have you got to say to everybody out there? They didn't believe in us. Nobody believed in us. They thought we were only going to make it through eight episodes. They didn't believe in us. God, dude. Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way, I want to jump over the pack, and here he comes! Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! <laughs> this is the greatest show! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they good. Gee, there, sharp. <laughs> oh, who else? McDonald! <laughs> From inside the Senate Square! Boys get the Welcome back to Americans Watching the Footy. Benjamin Castle here alongside my brother Ethan in South San Francisco, California. Nobody believed in us. Yes, yes. Um, I'm surprised we haven't heard that as much in footy because it's just run rampant in American sports, particularly in football. They said we were going to go 7-5 this year. Nobody said Georgia was going to go 7-5. and five. They said we were rebuilding this year. Travis Kelsey, are you high? Yes! I was gonna say, I thought he was doing some rehearsals for his Saturday Night Live hosting gig, which wasn't bad. Didn't watch... I don't watch SNL. I can't watch SNL because I see the opening credits and then I just spend the entire time thinking to myself, what the fuck kind of name is DisMukes?" And just thinking to myself, this is not funny, because 99% of SNL is not funny. They do have a couple of skits that, like, have held up for recent years. Uh, Black Jeopardy in particular is one of the greatest pieces of all time, but Far more misses. Is Keaton Thompson going to die on the Saturday Night Live stage? Man, we got a a really grim, really fast. Seriously, he's he's been there for what twenty years now. Is he going to end up running the show or something when Lorne quits? I have no idea. Probably be better than most of the writers they have. The show's not fun, sadly. No, you know it is fun as putty. Yeah, and the home and away season, as was said in that introduction, is fast approaching. We're under two weeks now. We're about 10 days away as we record this, so about a week or so by the time you hear this, probably. And so we're going about our home and away preview like we do with some of the other episodes we've done in recent times going randomly. So we don't know who's coming up next. Keeps it fresher for us. Also, it's just kind of dull to just go down the line, either ladder order or alphabetical order. I remember seeing an r slash AFL post recently where it was like every team ranked based on like. How far you have to scroll down to see them in an AFL article. Number one, Adelaide Crows. Ooh, that's good. That's good. R slash AFL offseason content is very hit or miss. That was a hit. That's like with some of the, you know, terrible maps. Oh, I did really like this one map. I don't know if you saw it. Um, It was like a map of U.S. states. In green were all the state flags that didn't have boobs on them. And in purple were all the states that had a flag with boobs on them. Virginia was the only one in purple. Correct. The Virginia State Flag has boobs. Vital information, isn't it? Yeah, that's one one area that Australia really needs to uh, pick it up on, or like their you know territory and state flags. Like they don't have to be you know superstars like the Liberia County Flags, but let's let's get something going. Come on. Okay. Um. Really, not a lot to transition with from that, honestly. But Benjamin, why don't you take us through? how exactly this preview is going to work, you know, kind of compared to last year and what you should expect from us over these next couple of episodes. Yeah, probably going to be three episodes for this doing six teams in each episode. So they won't be, you know, too long when it's all said and done. I remember they ran particularly long last time. It was only episodes three or four from us back then. And so it's much more streamlined. Now we've got a season of doing this behind us. I watched a good bit more preseason action than you did, Ethan. So I'll have more insight on, you know, what I've seen from the teams thus far this year. And obviously we'll talk about, you know, what we thought of them last year, you know, kind of as the season went on. But one thing that I really wanted to challenge us with is to try to pick a, a focus player or sort of sleeper maybe to really look at this year. Someone who isn't necessarily being talked about as much, but who piques our interest in terms of what their spot is on the list or how they might be able to break out this year. Cause with how invested we are in this game, I think it would be a fun thing for us to do. And maybe a way for us to just kind of test our analytical eye. Basically what I did with Nathan Odriscoll last year, where just after one game it was like, okay, this guy fucks basically that, but hopefully with a little more behind us. I mean, we've been watching some of these guys for three years now. Some of them though, it's been a couple preseason hit outs and that's it for me. That is anyway. I will confess that, yeah, I've barely watched any of the preseason, so, so for those of you that know me, you know that one of the things that I take a lot of interest in is high school basketball. Take a lot of interest in, it's your job to report on it right now. Yeah, and I kind of go above and beyond just the parameters of my job with that, but playoffs are almost done. State championships are this coming weekend, so it lines up perfectly to be done right before the home and away season starts, but it's not great for watching preseason games, which, you know, I'm fine with that. Like, the three sports that I care the most about, footy, high school basketball, and baseball, they really all fit together really nicely, actually, where footy and baseball kind of share a window, and then pretty much the moment baseball's done, high school basketball ramps up. So it it all fits really well, but it does mean, admittedly, I don't always have as much knowledge about some of the preseason stuff. Once we get into actual games that count, I will have all kinds of analysis and observations and things. But for now, Benjamin's going to kind of take the lead on some of those. But I, I mean, also, with some teams, there's a lot more to gain than with others. I mean, you've probably seen the stuff with Geelong. You know, they've rested a lot of players for both of these preseason headouts, especially the one this past weekend against Brisbane, because a lot of teams realize, hey, there's not really that much to gain. And Putting some of these guys out there, especially now that um, there's no preseason trophy, which I think is the funniest thing, by the way, that there used to be a preseason trophy. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's like one of those funny British type things, you know, kind of like the community shield or if it's just kind of a weird Australian thing. But it it's amusing to me. Yeah. They used to have like a decently attended grand final at Marvel Stadium and a best on ground medal for it. The Michael Tuck medal. And just remember, one of Michael Tuck's records was broken last year. Uh, which one? Most finals played. Joel Selwood with 40. Cool. But I think Tuck has a leg up in one factor, and that he is the AFL's only seven-time premiership player. I yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be hard to beat. Point is, I've watched more of the preseason action, but you still have a lot to go off from last year, and I don't really think we should be wasting any more time. I do hope with some of these, like, I won't have any idea what's going on, and I'll just kind of be, like, reacting to things in real time. That's always fun when that happens, as long as it's not, like, a bad TikTok reaction where it's just, like, nodding along with the music or pointing up at me. See, that's the issue with, you know, these videos aren't going to be, like, full-on videos. We are on YouTube now. It's just basically going to have the episode artists, you know, it something that you don't have to watch you could basically do it like you can any podcast where you can like throw it on while you're driving if you got like youtube music or something or or premium where you you could like view something else while you're doing it that's an awesome way to to do that but just another way for us to get out there on another platform but we're spinning our wheels enough just talking about this sort of stuff so how about we actually kind of spin the wheel in terms of randomizing and get started here yeah let's do it all right Carlton were one of the last teams we talked about in one of our preseason catch-ups, and they're the first team we're talking about here. So, Ethan, I remember one thing you said when we talked about Carlton. May have been on-air, may have been off-air, but you said that if you just looked at their record last year and not the arc of the season, that they were in a decent spot. But it was the way the season ended on such a low note that made things so difficult for Blues fans to be able to live with. If you told me they would go twelve and ten and miss finals by less than a percent. Well, if you said the less than a percent part, that would probably hurt, but if you just said they would have gone twelve and ten and not made finals, I would have said like, alright, solid run. Solid in Michael Voss's first year, he's clearly getting them to play his way, but actually I don't really think it was them playing his way, and it was more just them playing. They weren't really boxed in by any system with which they really weren't compatible. There really wasn't like a ton of structure to what they were doing. It was more just letting the kids run, which sometimes works. Like to borrow a term from college football podcast, the solid verbal, sometimes you just got to underthink it or take the underthink express. And that seems to be what Michael Voss largely did, which was probably the right thing to do, probably the right thing to do in the early part of the season but clearly the rest of the league did manage to catch up. And so now he's got more of a task on his hands that he's actually got to be a bit more inventive. Now, one thing that definitely helps is that their biggest positional need last year, aside from just the rash of injuries they had in their back third, was that they needed more experience and just a better user of the ball on the wing. And they definitely have that now in Blake Akers. You've been saying Acres Praises all of last year, and I was right along there with you. Yeah. remember, they basically got him for nothing, and I'll get in later to how Frio had such a weird offseason. But adding him into what was already a pretty solid midfield group is pretty awesome. It's gonna mean Adam Chera, not Woof, isn't gonna be, you know, forced into some time on the wing where he's clearly more of an inside player and with Sam Walsh out at the start of the season, that's going to be even more necessary. What exactly was the story behind not woof again, Ethan? Just to make sure I don't confuse him with Adam Sod. Ah, woof indeed. I still don't understand the woof thing. I know there's history behind it. I just don't get it. But the midfield's definitely more complete with Akers, of course. And if they can bear to stay healthy in the back and, you know, weedering doesn't miss a whole lot of time along with a lot of other people, then I can see them, you know, contending for somewhere around Six through 8th with, with ease. Unfortunately, they do have one piece of their back third who won't be playing this season. Yeah, Zach Williams tore his ACL, so he is done for the entire year. Yeah, he was put on the inactive list. Looked like the Blues might be able to poach Oleg Markov from under Collingwood's watch for a while. Markov spent one day at Carlton and said, fuck that I'm a pipe. Watching on and hearing that news from across the Pacific, I couldn't help but laugh. You know, it's it's really easy to dunk on Carlton for all sorts of reasons, and this feels like a very benign dunking on them for that. Also worth noting that Jordan Boyd is expected to be out for the first few rounds as well, battling a foot injury, so he and Sam Walsh will both be sidelined for a bit. Don't know a timeline for Matthew Cottrell yet. He had a foot injury as well, and that was during one of the preseason games. Ethan, I want to start with you on this one. As I said, we each have a, a sleeper or a focus player for all 18 teams, and I want to know who your sleeper is for the Blues. This is a tough one. of started right off the bat with that. Um, they're so good at forward that I don't know if Lockie Fogarty would be a great answer. I, Still, I can understand that one. This is a bit of a weird one, actually, because we knew about him last year, and he put up really good numbers, but I just didn't think much about him other than that, yeah, he has a lot of disposals, and that's Matthew Kennedy. So that's who I'm going to go with here. I'm going to try to actually just watch him more closely this season. Kennedy kind of blended in with a lot of other players in that midfield. You know, you had Cripps and Walsh being the focus, and George Hewitt was always up there in possession numbers as well, a bit ahead of someone like Kennedy. So yeah, I think I really want to pay attention to Kennedy a bit more as well, really kind of start to figure out where each of the pieces In the Carlton midfield fit behind the first couple guys. And I think Walsh being out will help us understand that. My pick is a bit further back. With Zach Williams out, I looked a bit more at their halfback ranks during this midseason. And I'm going to be focusing on Nick Newman. He might really complete their defensive unit this season. He is 30 years old and he played 19 games last year, but he never really blew me away with anything. And before and still after, we knew about Williams' situation. I thought he was kind of on the fringe of best 23 selection. But without Williams, I think he's going to be really important in providing some speed from halfback. So watch out for Nick Newman in that regard this season. So basically, you're saying they're going to need him to be more than just a guy. Yeah, because Zach Williams is definitely more than just a guy. And his absence was definitely felt last year when he went down. Remember, he missed a decent part of the second half of the season after getting hurt against the Giants. So they're going to need to make up for him in that regard again. Hopefully there isn't, you know, the giant amount of injuries to the rest of the back as well. One thing that we focused on during our preview last year that we're going to do again is focus on who teams double up with in this unbalanced, kind of arbitrarily assembled schedule. Most notably, Carlton doubles up against not Richmond. So they'll see him in the first game of the year, and they won't see him again. They do, of course, have Collingwood twice. They'll also have the Suns and Giants twice, the Demons twice, the Saints twice, and the Eagles twice, which is pretty friendly-looking, if you ask me. Yeah, so actually, they'll be visiting Western Australia twice this year, then, because they'll also be playing at Frio. That was a fun double-up they had last year against Frio, and it's nice to see that they actually have something sensible with their scheduling, that They have one Western team doubled up one year and the other the next. I doubt that was intentional. There's so much about just the the double-ups of the scheduling for sites that's weird. Going by the math that Benjamin put together on a very helpful spreadsheet, the Blues have the sixth easiest schedule if you just look at points for opponents last year and the fourth easiest if you look at percentage. And I think that honestly doesn't do it justice. I think this is one of the most generous friendly schedules altogether in terms of who they're doubling up against. Other than Collingwood and Melbourne, yeah, I mean, those are four pretty favorable matchups. Those are the only two finalists for last year that they face. Looking for really difficult stretches of schedule, I mean, opening up with the Tigers and Cats back-to-back is not easy. And then they've got a Pretty nasty five-week stretch for rounds 8 through 12, although every single one of those games is in Victoria except for one. They've got the Lions, Bulldogs, Pies, where they're all technically the home team. Then they have to go to the SCG to face the Swans, and then they're technically the away team at the G facing the Demons. That's going to be on my birthday! So that's probably the most... Difficult stretch for them. They also have a trip to Frio followed by Port Adelaide at home. But really no other stretch that you look at as, wow, this could be really rough. So it's funny. The schedule would imply, at least, that they could have a stronger back half this year. They don't play any games at any unique site, though. I am still going to look at Heritage Bank Stadium on the schedule every time and think, wait, where the fuck is that for... Weeks, if not months. Yes, that's the new sponsorship name for the stadium in Carrara for the Gold Coast Suns. So, no more Metricon, hello, Heritage Bank. It was weird for me at first, too. And yeah, as for alternate sides, nothing crazy. And it's pretty much an away game for them in the Gather Round against the Crows in round five. Yes, the SpongeBob sound bite is back for round five. Maybe at that point, the Baggers will be singing their C-A-R-L-T-O-N-B-L-U-E-S song. But it'll help if you just sing along. Bum, bum, bum. Transition. Transition. Without our transitions, we would be as lost as... as a blue in round 23. Very good. That was 100% ad-libbed. It was absolutely ad-libbed. And the D's are next as we spun the wheel during that little transition. So yeah, starting off with some pretty relevant teams just to the whole conversation last year and this year because obviously Melbourne pulled off one of the biggest trades landing Brody Grundy and also were the sellers and another one of the biggest in sending Luke Jackson home to Fremantle. So definitely a shakeup there. And the Gone and Grundy pairing has obviously been a focus of a lot of analysis. I watched their preseason game against Richmond pretty closely, and I really liked what I saw in a lot of ways. Galling and obviously, were splitting full forward time, and because they were on the ground together, they were both getting really high-profile one-on-one matchups, and I think that's also going to help, you know, kind of further down the hierarchy, so other talls like Tom McDonald and Jacob Van Rooyen when he comes into things... And Ben Brown, if he remains in without his hair, they'll probably have, you know, maybe an easier time because they won't have, you know, the top defenders on them. So I think it can really work in some ways. And yeah, Ben Brown shaved his hair. I believe he had a relative who was undergoing chemotherapy. Yeah, cousin. And it was part of a children's cancer research initiative. And they had kids out there at the training ground helping cut off his hair. I don't think I would trust kids with a razor. I think I think it was just like scissors or like uh, a lock each. I, I still wouldn't trust kids with that. I don't know. I think it's cool. He's a cool guy. He's also, you know, pretty vocal about being against the ridiculous amount of betting ads that are on all the footy broadcasts. If you think it's bad here in America with all the daily fantasy ads, if you tune into a Fox footy feed, you'll see it probably two to three times every commercial break. Brown could be kind of a fringe guy this year, depending on how well Van Rooyen might slot in, because with Grundy in there now, too, Ben's really going to need to differentiate himself in order to get time as a tall. Remember, the of brown platoon is no more. Sam Wiedemann is now a bobber. Yeah, um, but I remember late last year, I forget which game it was, but Ben Brown had some time kind of as a taller wing, and I like that look for them a bit. So maybe they'll try that a bit more. I have no idea. It was interesting because it opened them up and they had been so rigid and structured and it was what propelled them to the flag in 2021, but in a lot of ways led to their undoing last year because teams started to figure it out, understood how to kind of space them out and exploit holes in their zone. I was back in their second meeting against Collingwood that Brown was trialed a bit at the wing and I don't think we really noted it again after that, unfortunately. But against Richmond, you know, switching up their ball movement more, they looked more eager to actually work the corridor, and that's a good thing because it wasn't, you know, just bombing it long from the wing and hoping something stuck. And you've got enough depth in the midfield and half forward that there's no reason not to be able to switch things up. And when you have one of the most exciting players in the game at Kazi Pickett roaming the forward half, there's even less of a reason to be so rigid. Kazi is probably, for both of us, our favorite forward to watch. And that's also true of Mason Cox. Yeah, he actually had also discussed the Ben Brown haircut on his show, which, if you don't listen to, you should. It's better than ours. You're not going to get as much of, like, all 18 teams, obviously, but you're going to get good stuff, and he'll be able to tell you a lot more about, like, pop culture than I can. He can tell you a lot about Britney. I really don't have a lot of expertise there, so uh yeah, the Mason Cox show. Good good content. Not a whole lot of injury concerns for the D's heading into round one. Jack Viney is looking like he'll be able to play. There was a concern with his hamstring this week, and so he didn't play against Richmond, but that should heal up in time. The one big concern is Christian Salem, who has had a thyroid issue for a few years now and has really popped up again during the summer, and so we don't have a timeline for him at all. And so Salem, you know, always fit like a glove in that back third structure, kind of being a little bit in front of Stephen May and Jake Lever. So somebody's going to need to help fill that gap somewhat, and that helped me lead to my sleeper. Now, with you reading who it is, Ethan, had I said this guy was a sleeper at the start of last season or even midway through last season, you would have wondered what the hell I was smoking. Yeah, this is, you know, if you were listening to this somehow a year ago, you would think we're cheating at this because it doesn't really, it wouldn't have fit the parameters of what we're looking for. But your guy is Jake Bowie, who started off so ridiculously hot, won the first, I believe it was 17 games he played. But really, that was where... The magic ended, despite being a rising star nominee twice, of joining a very rare group. In the process, I think the biggest thing for him is that you know he's small for the role that he often tries to play one on one. He's only five nine and one hundred fifty nine pounds, so one hundred seventy six centimeters, seventy two kilos. And he tends to be matching up against bigger players. They trial him in more of a midfield role last year, and I can understand that with you know, him being a smart kick. But I think he's going to be more important as an interceptor or at least a disruptor because he's definitely more natural as a halfback. And I think the biggest thing for him is he needs to bulk up to really be able to take on some of those bigger defenders who were punishing him before he lost his spot for the majority of the back half of last year. You know, I could add on one other guy, even though he's on the older end. In fact, he's 33 to that group. That would be Michael Hibbard, where if he has one last hurrah in him, this could be a team that's really in position to win another flag. He locked down Charlie Cameron twice last year. Charlie figured him out the third time. Really, Brisbane in general figured out Melbourne the third time. That was one of the strangest results for us to see probably for the whole season given what was already in front of us was there a single finals result that shocked you more not really because i mean you know it was everything working against the lions they couldn't win at the g they couldn't win a road final and then they just went and did it did pretty authoritatively we'll be singing the lions praises a bunch whenever they come up on the wheel who's your guy Ethan? I'm going to go with James Jordan or Jordan because he's just another guy that I haven't given a lot of thought to. He was the medical sub, a completely unused medical sub in the 2021 grand final. So was he the first player to be selected for a grand final and win a premiership medal despite not seeing the field? It might have been. I would I would think unless there was some, because the medical sub was a totally new concept. There had been some rules of the past, but not quite as we'd seen it these past couple years. So yeah, I think it has to be like that. Is it more that you're just kind of wanting to learn more about how Jordan plays, that you're going to be focusing on him more? It's that and just that most of the Demons players that you look at, it's like, all right, I know their regular lineup pretty well. You know, there's not a lot of outside of picket on the offensive end. There's not a lot of flair. There's not a lot of pizzazz. It's just... Just very, very sound. It's just a gameplay in general. Yeah. And Jordan is part of just a very, very crowded midfield already with some of those high profile, efficient players in there. So I like the pick. I'd also like to see if Taj Wawoden. Wawoden. Okay. Gets a debut because I've seen his name on the list for years. And I just, I think it's only been a couple, but just that's, that's years plural. Yeah. Yes. It's just a name that stands out. His, Father Shane won the Brownlow in 2000, I believe. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, their forward group is pretty good, but more of Cade Chandler would be interesting because that's another guy that just, again, haven't given much thought to. Had some good moments in the preseason game against Richmond, becoming a more and more efficient kick, and he was elevated from the rookie list this year, so it's definitely a vote of confidence. Looking at the D's schedule, they have... Kind of a middle-of-the-road schedule in a lot of ways based on points and percentage for the teams they faced last year. Ninth-toughest in both respects. Their double-ups, the Lions, Blues, Hawks, Kangaroos, Tigers, and Swans. I think from a double-up standpoint, that's actually pretty nasty. It's just that the lower two of those are way down, especially if we're not just looking at you know, the raw strength of schedule numbers, but looking at that we expect Hawthorne to take a dive this year as they go into their rebuild, and that North remains North, those are definitely games where Melbourne are going to need to clean up in terms of percentage. I mean, I think North, and we'll talk about them more when we actually preview them, but I don't think they're a two-win team again unless everything goes wrong. I think, you know, there'll be a five-ish win team and it'll be enough that someone will be looking back at the games against them and it's like that's why we're playing a road final or that's why we didn't make the top four or, that's why we missed finals altogether so why do i see carlton blowing their season against north now uh they play them around four so that seems pretty unlikely unless it's one where you know you go back and connect the dots after the fact exactly yeah Looking at particularly tough stretches on the schedule, I mean, those first three rounds are difficult. They've got the Bulldogs to start the year, then they go to the Gabba before matching up against the Swans and trying to avenge their qualifying final loss. And then rounds 10 to 15 are pretty difficult, though they do have the round 14 bye. Round 10 at Port, then they host the Dockers and Blues, they host the Pies, well, again, those last couple, you know, they're kind of the home team in quotes, and you would think their fans would probably be outnumbered. At round 13 there, that's the King's birthday match, so that'll have Monday all to itself. Then you got the round 14 bye, and then coming out of the bye, similar to last year, they get a Thursday at Geelong, which that went really well last year, and you had that awesome crown shot with the guy kind of doing like the Italian FU gesture, which was so funny. I remember Max Holmes and Cameron Guthrie both having particularly strong games and it's a shame that once again that's the only time those two teams are matching up if you don't know about the crowd shot i'm referring to tweet at us and we will link you to it i said right after last season ended cuz uh i believe it was another american fan asking on twitter you know one team for the top 4 tends to drop out of the top 8 most seasons and i said that If there was any of the top four from last year that would drop out, it would be Melbourne. Yeah, it's funny because on one hand, they could totally be a very safe bet to be back in the top four. And on the other, there's, I think, more of a possibility of them falling out of the eight altogether than any of the other top four teams. I think some people might say Collingwood ahead of them just because of how Collingwood went about last year and how many close games they had. I and mean, look, you could make a case for Geelong, but I think the floor is, I hope the floor is like sixth or so. I was about to say sixth, but it's more that, yeah, I said this on September 28th, so this was less than a week after the grand final when Tyler Gantert asked this question to us. He's a Swans fan from Florida, and it was just more of me saying, you know, we need to see a shift in offensive strategy. We've seen the beginnings of it. Will it really fully come to fruition is the big question it's funny because not that long ago it was oh my god the d's they're so young they're gonna be so good for so long and now it's like they don't seem that young comparatively very very quickly two alternate sites for the d's this year they do make a trip to tasmania as they seem to once nearly every year this time like it was two years ago it's to Stone arena outside Hobart to play North and that's in round 21, but far more importantly, in round 16, the coolest AFL site currently in rotation, Alice Springs. They have the Giants out there this year. Hopefully by then, Toby Bedford will be healthy to play his old side. Alright, who's next? Yeah, those are two pretty hefty breakdowns there to start things and the pace is not getting any slower because it's cats time. All right, let's, Jeez, yeah, this is, a, this is a bit front-loaded here, isn't it? Yeah, and again, a little, a little top-heavy. This is completely random. We are using the list randomizer on random.org, so no, it's not a fugazi. However, having said that, I think the cats ended up liking what the script writers did last year. Yeah, obviously, you know, we've talked about pretty extensively. So has everyone else. Best offseason imaginable for reigning premiers, aside from a couple of injuries that probably aren't all that long term, we hope. Yeah, we don't know how long exactly Jack Henry's foot injury is going to be. They say the medium term, likely six weeks or more. It was a similar injury to what he missed time with last year. But there seems to be a solution there. In the back six that wasn't as clear before, I think, because guess who took a big jump this summer after seemingly wanting out a Rodrigo Golea. Always seemed like, you know, an extra piece for a while, just an extra option you could throw in at Ruck. He's really establishing himself as the interceptor he needs to be. Because that's always where he's been best. You know, we've never questioned his market ability, we've questioned most other things about his game. Kicking ability mostly. But um, the thing I was just thinking about as I was preparing for this with Radagalea is he's such a good athlete that at some point somebody was going to find a way to make him a useful player. And that's the difference between footy and, say, baseball, where a lot of the best athletes are not good baseball players because it requires such a niche set of skills. Like, yes, footy has its own skill set that's useful are a very particular set of skills. And for example, if you're South Sudanese, you're probably genetically predisposed to be more fit for this. But like, if you took the world's best athletes and put them on a baseball field, a lot of them would suck shit. And sometimes like you go around a baseball clubhouse and it's like, who's the most chiseled guy in here? Oh, it's the guy who hits like two home runs all season. Whereas footy, if you're a good athlete, there will be a spot for you. Some club somewhere will find a place for you. Like, if Usain Bolt wanted to play footy, he could be a really good goal sneak forward because he's so fucking fast, even if he can't kick more than, like, five meters away from the posts. that just the first example I could think of. You could think of tons others, you know, like, marathoners or something, even if, you know, they don't have, like, the best instincts. And yeah, footy is pretty instinct-based in terms of, you know, marking men and, tagging and tackling in midfield and knowing when guys are chasing you down and stuff, if you're a good enough athlete, you will be able to play even if you cause some headaches with a lack of knowledge of the sport. And I don't think Asaba has a lack of knowledge of the sport. My argument is just he's a really good athlete. I mean, he's got huge legs and is just a really big, strong dude. And I think he actually fits into the defense really well because... The other five guys are pretty safe bets. So you can have someone who could be a bit more of a risk taker and just go out there leaping and just hoping that things go the right way. Because if they don't, someone else will have his back. It's a good way to to think about it. The flexibility that a footy lineup can provide can allow for more niche roles like that. Looking at the other injury concerns, they are all pretty short-term. We knew about Tom Hawkins' foot injury all off season, he's questionable for round one. So too is Mitch Duncan with a calf problem. The most recent potential casualty is Jake Kola Jasny, who suffered his third concussion within about a year in the preseason outing against the Brisbane Lions. But there's depth there. Yeah, that is one that's a bit of a concern. Like, could that be a longer-term thing when you've had this many? But, I mean, it's a shame also because of how well he and Jed Bues did kind of in a tandem role, moving things from half back through the midfield during finals. I know they're the two players that you highlighted for slightly different reasons, but you often mention them together as being underrated factors to the Premiership. He is still currently at three career goals, Cole Jashley. I think that's worth a mention. Um, And Injuries kind of tie into the one thing that I don't know if people noticed necessarily about The Cats last year and the way the schedule worked and the way with the older guys at the retirement home, they were able to kind of space out people's rest and they seemed to have it all pretty well planned out. And I think even if they had lost a couple more games, the plan was still excellent. Whereas, you know, never sitting like three or four really good guys was just kind of, you know, One of the older guys is going to sit, and then the next week someone else will. And they kind of rotated him around, whether it was Dangerfield, whether it was Selwood, whether it was Duncan. New Captain Patrick Dangerfield, by the way. And I don't know if that's going to be as doable this year, because that did require a lot of things falling into the right place. And what was at times a pretty friendly schedule. This year, it looks like the back half of the schedule is Way tougher than the front half. But rounds 14 through 16 out of the bye. At Port, home against the Demons. Those are back-to-back Thursdays. Then at the SCG. And then rounds 19 to 22 aren't particularly easy. At the Gaba, home against the Dockers. Home against Port. And then rematch with Collingwood at the G in round 22. So, uh going to be... They better be piling on. Percentage and converting early, unlike they did last year. Remember, they started five and four, and you were very down about things after the second half against St. Kilda in round of Nine. Yeah, they do have the Saints round 23 and then finish the season with the Bulldogs round 24. I would love to be in the position they were in last year, where they were able to just kind of sit back and have the number one spot locked up and watch everything unfold beneath them. But that's, that requires a lot of things to go right. And it's going to be difficult also with a tough schedule they have so what i think is a reasonable expectation would be for them to do some of the rest stuff again this year and maybe it doesn't you know hit on every single one and go quite as swimmingly maybe there's a week where they choose to sit dangerfield for example and they end up losing probably because of his absence but in the big picture i think it's the best way to prepare for finals especially after you look at how they kind of ran out of gas in prior finals runs. Those double-ups, by the way, are going to be Collingwood, Essendon, Fremantle, Port, Sydney, and the Bulldogs in alphabetical order. So four finalists and one team that was playing like a finalist near the end of last year in Port. Yeah, this is one of the toughest schedules altogether if you look at ladder position, number of finalists, percentage, Number of points. The Swans would, if we're going off of last year's results, be considered the toughest of all, but I would put this right up there with them. I'd say it's probably the second toughest schedule. You could even say they're 1A and 1B, but I don't have a ton to complain about because it's like they're the reigning premiers. I will have things to complain about at some point, like not being actually at Cardinia until as of now. Round six, I believe, against the Swans. As of now, round six, and we'll see what happens because it seems like some of the steel being used to construct the new stand isn't very good. I don't know if they worked with the company that had built the Bay Bridge here or if it was Fat Tony's company, you know, using breadsticks. Either way, I want the cats to be able to play at home more. No real interesting sights other than still being amazed that it's, not called Metricon anymore because past the Gaba, that's the stadium we probably have watched the most games at because of the way the 2020 season worked. So um who's your sleeper for this year? This is a team that's in a pretty interesting position with list management where because the offseason went so well, there might not be as much of a handoff in bridging the gap because guys like Tanner Brune and Ollie Henry slot in. Not to mention also, you know, Jack Bowes has shown that he's not just a trade chip with what he's shown the midfield already this preseason. But I thought this was going to have to be a lot deeper of a dive. And then, even though the preseason game against Brisbane was a slog, there was one player who really caught my eye. I thought at first it was Reese Staley out there, then I realized, no, he's shorter. And that's two ones on his jumper. It's Cooper White who plays in mostly a midfield role. I just really like the attack that he had on the ball and, and is a pretty strong left-footed kick. He's the kind of person that made me think of this whole sleeper idea in the first place because he is on the AFL list, but I don't think he's really that high on anyone's radar. So I'd love to track his progress through the season, see what he does at the VFL level when he gets shots there. If I could just count what I already said about Asava, I'd go with that. Otherwise, I guess Mitch Nevitt because the midfield is... Probably the group that's the easiest to crack right now. And he got two games in last year. The win at GWS and the loss to the Saints. The midfield is really the biggest concern out of any position group entering the year. Not that it's great concern, but it's more than you would say you have for the forwards or defensemen. Um, Cam Guffrey was fine last year, but he wasn't like this visible dominant presence so hopefully he trends back in that direction if not there could be room for someone like Nevitt to pull a little bit more weight and one other guy I want to give a very quick mention to because we saw so little of him last year because he was hurt and could factor in more and giving guys rest this year would be John Segwar who didn't look great when he played but he had been on the shelf for so long that I think having him back and fully capable would Probably doing some good. Amazing that we went through this preview of Geelong up to this point, at least, without mentioning Ali Henry, who, especially considering the potential for Hawkins to miss round one, should probably be in that best 23 and has shown well thus far. Yeah, unfortunately, right now, we can't say now with 100% more Henrys, but you know, you think of Jack Henry's grab against Richmond, it's like, well, we have another guy that, I mean, he'd already be played forward, but He can kind of do that stuff. So that's pretty cool. I mean, he's definitely shown that ability and some of his best performances this past year were in the fourth quarter. Nobody talked about Brian Myers. Grian Myers. As always, you can find us on Twitter and on YouTube at Foti. because YouTube also has handles now that start with the at symbol. It's very strange and I'm not used to it, but that's how it works. Soon YouTube's going to have stories too. Yeah. Remember Twitter stories? Very vaguely, yes. Hopefully we don't have YouTube spaces. that basically just live videos with Maybe like a few other people being able to. Awesome. I I guess those are like live stream parties, but I don't know. There's something about Twitter Spaces that can be a little off-putting in particular. Speaking of Twitter, I'm personally on there at Benjamin HK01. I'm on there at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. Most importantly, Brian Harambe, the Footy Cat, is in the room with us right now, enjoying. Oh, there he goes. Just jumped up to go sit in the window. Yes. Like sitting behind the window blinds. You can probably hear him rustling them to get through right now. He's on Instagram, a cat named Grind, and there's probably a video of him doing something like that on there. All right, who's next? Team four of six for this episode, four of 18 overall. At last, we have a non finalist. It's the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, over the last couple years, the Crows have made this steady climb out of the cellar. Last year, they finished 14th, same number of points as Hawthorne, but the Hawks had them pretty considerably on percentage. They went 8-14, and and over the last couple of years, they've kind of gotten to this point where you just think of them as they're a tough team when you play them at their place. If you face them at home, you better clean up. And I'm looking for them to take the next step this year. When we did our season debut a couple weeks back, or might be like a month back now, I remember saying, I want to see them win a couple of tough road games this year, not just like the, the one they took in Ballarat against the Bulldogs because it was windy. Well, they ought to have the firepower to do some more damage on the road and in general on the scoreboard because, well, they were already looking pretty nice up front with how Joshua Shelley was progressing and with Riley Philthorpe still getting the hang of things. He's someone that we really liked right away when we saw his debut now a year and a half ago or more than that it was anzac day of 2021 one of the weirdest games that i still remember do you remember watching that one live i vaguely do i remember his goal against the saints with his back to the goal more yeah i remember that one as well i think that was in cairns yeah yeah so i guess he's just a good alternate sites player because that was in cairns and his debut was five goals in Launceston, Adelaide started kicking 15 straight for 90, and they lost by three. Just a very strange game, and one I still struggle to really wrap my head around. I've mentioned it on our slash AFL thread as well, just talking about non-finals games and, you know, games that aren't your team, but it just sticks with you for some reason. But yeah, you've got Rochelle, you got Phil Thorpe, Darcy Fogarty took big strides last year, not just because he's a big guy, but I think he really found his form in the second half of the campaign. Always been a good mark, always been an accurate kick, and just got more and more involved. And that's going to be necessary, especially considering that Taylor Walker is probably only a year or two away from retirement at this point, considering his age. And oh yeah, they added Isaac Rankin. That's kind of a big deal. Gave up their first round pick for him, but to have a guy like that coming home for you... I don't think they mind minded. And, you know, the year before that, they had a player come home and they gave up a big pick for him. And, oh, he's now their captain? <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, Jordan Dawson was really fun last year because he wasn't just really good. He was noticeable, whether you're looking at the numbers or just the eye test. He was... Pretty much everywhere, you know, and, and that's not just after also with the after the siren kick, he was noticeable for reasons other than that, mainly that he was the guy taking the ball out of the back half, starting things up from the goal square, was all over the place, just very productive in really all different parts of the Oval, and you could see his leadership on field right away, and clearly they believe in his leadership off the Oval as well. I mean, Dawson didn't spend really any time at fullback other than taking those kickouts from behinds, and it's fullback where the major concern really still remains. You know, Ethan, you talked about impressive wins from them last year. The one that really stands out for me for them from early in the season was the home win against Richmond, and that was the one time where really the back three of Jordan Butts, Tom Duday, and the now-departed Billy Frampton all clicked. You didn't really see that again, and by the time they had another big performance, Josh Worrell was in the mix there at fullback. So, what is the solution long-term there? I think Worrell has to be part of it, and maybe the father-son pick, Max Michelinie, will be as well. He is a shot at making a round one debut. Unfortunately, Worrell did his hamstring against fremantle at least a little bit of a hamstring injury. We don't exactly know the timeline there, Paul Seedsman is inactive. He's still recovering from concussion stuff from December 2021. So I would say the likelihood of him ever playing again is very, very slim. And we'll see what's up with Rory Sloan. He tore his ACL back in round five last year, so should be nearing full recovery from that. But not sure if he's going to be ready to go just in round one. The Rorys had definitely been a story for the Crows for a number of years between Sloan and tackling and fantasy monster Rory Laird. Laird finally had some company last year in the tackling department, at least, in Sam Barry, who would have been a sleever had we did this last year. Certainly not now. Thinking about, you know, what happens if Sloan's out, that's a spot where maybe L.A. Hevelberg would have a real chance to factor in big time because he was in and out of the side last year, started off really well. Had a good performance in the showdown that they won in round three, but was his typical inconsistent self from there. I thought he was a bit too notable, though, to be a sleeper. And I went with another younger player in Mitch Hinge, who really caught my eye last year in his first full season. Hinge played 17 games, Ed. is underrated as just an accurate kick. It's also nice to see him on the wing sometimes because I like seeing a bit of height on the wing, and he's 6'3", or 190 centimeters. As I said with Melbourne, with them trialing Ben Brown there on the wing, I thought that was something interesting, and they should go back to it, and hopefully they give Hinge that time as well. Hinge also put up a good showing in the preseason outing against the Eagles with 23 disposals and 4 inside 50s, so he's got good form going into things. My pick is Chase Jones. And I think now looking at it, Nick Murray kind of fits the description as well, where this is a team that, you know, we've been pretty clear that their issues are defensive and Jones is only 23, Murray is only 22. They're looking for someone to take that next step and be a real centerpiece defensively, you know, kind of like Caleb Graham became for the Suns last year. And even if it's not, you know, someone who's like six foot six or whatever, just Guys that you can rely on to be good defenders, whether that's in a one-on-one role, a zone role, whatever it is, you need stability in the back half. If this team had, say, Geelong's defense with this forward group, this would be an obvious not-just-finals team, but contender to be, like, maybe even top four, and... You need multiple cornerstones defensively to be able to do that, but let's just start with one or two guys taking that next step, and that's why I've picked Chase Jones and Nick Murray, because they're both in that spot where they could do that, or they could kind of just fall off the map completely. And Jones had had a couple chances last year as the sub, sometimes gotten pretty full game action, so he's another one that I'd also like to see take that next step. Also, shouts out Harry Schoenberg for being the least football player-looking football player. I think you've gone over this one before, but I have. It's worth mentioning again, because I really haven't thought of him in a long time. When it comes to the Crows' schedule this year, they only have two finalists that they double up against, those being Brisbane and Collingwood, and their other double-ups are Gold Coast, Greater Western Sydney, Port, and West Coast. So... With all that in there, there's definitely a chance for them to move up with something that I see is, you know, generally favorable double up. You've got pretty low strength of schedule, something that's, you know, appropriate for where they finished last year, and if they can have a bit more scoring volume. And if Morrill and Mikelaney contribute, as I hope they can, defensively, you know, maybe they're a little closer to finals this year than I think they are. I think they're really gonna be contending next year. If they can be like where the 2022 Suns were, I would consider that a pretty successful campaign. Now, looking at their schedule, other than the double-ups, there are a couple of stretches that are really nasty in here. There are also a couple of interesting sites. First off, because of the gather round, they have 13 of their 23 games at the Adelaide Oval, including all of a pretty rough stretch from rounds two through five. So they open at GWS, then they get Richmond, the away showdown, Frio and Carlton. They have a lot of really nasty, like two game stretches after that. Hosting Collingwood in round seven, visiting Geelong in round eight, playing the Bulldogs in Ballarat in round 10, and then hosting the Lions in round 11. Remember what happened there in Ballarat last year? You know, I guess rounds 22 and 23 are really tough, but the two rounds before it aren't easy either. Home showdown, Suns at home. Feels weird saying that. A home game against the Suns has any level of, like, intimidation at all. And the Suns are still looking for their first win at Adelaide Oval. Then they're at the Gabba, and then they host the Swans. Now, with that game in Ballarat, like I said, they've got a couple of interesting sites this year. So, round six, they're in Launceston to play the Hawks. Hey, there's that Anzac Sunday matchup that happened two years ago that was so interesting that I already mentioned with Phil Thorpe's bag. Round 10, they get the Bulldogs in Victoria. Round 12, they get the Suns up in Darwin, where the Suns played very well last year. Now, granted, one of those two games the Suns had was against North. The other, they just blasted Hawthorne. Big picture, I just want to see if the Crows continue on this trajectory and keep you know, slowly improving. I wouldn't mind that. It would give us a chance to ask, like, will they be able to get there at this pace but I think there's also a possibility that they just kind of plateau here and if they do I think there's going to be a lot of frustration and people ready to move on with a lot of the leadership with Crows and be ready for an overhaul in terms of coaching in front office I don't think there's really anyone expecting them to be a finals team but I think they could be at least in the conversation for a bunch of the year although That tough start to the schedule may put them, you know, fighting an uphill battle from the get-go. But again, at least a lot of those tougher games in that earlier stretch are at the Adelaide Oval. Two more to go for this first home-and-away episode. I think it's good that we chose to break this up into three parts. I think it's just going to be easier on everybody here. I don't like, you know, overly long episodes. We're definitely going to have a couple of those with dense rounds this year. Fifth up. Hey, we got our first team with a new coach this year, and it's Essendon, they of the turbulent off season. And again, as we said before, let us remind you that it really began before the off season started. It was really back toward like round 22, I think. For a while, it looked like they did Ben Rutten dirtier than any team had ever done any coach in a former British colony. And then the Vancouver Canucks happened. We talked about that a couple episodes back. But yeah, just, hey, yes, we want Alistair Clarkson. No, we don't care that Ben Rutten's still under contract. Oh, we didn't get Clarkson. Um, welcome back to coaching, Brad Scott. If Urinating Tree followed Footy, he would have made multiple videos about Essendon recently. He'd have enough content from Essendon, St. Kilda, and Carlton alone. And maybe with a touch of Bulldogs. But. New head coach, new captain in Zach Merritt, which we kind of saw coming. Heppel was having a hard time getting into the best 23, and Merritt was a pretty natural on-field leader already. But other than that, really, there wasn't much that they addressed in terms of the playing list, and it just leaves me just kind of perplexed with where the club really thinks they are. You know, throughout... A lot of last season, I had said, all right, a step back in year two was to be expected. Now year three will be where they really get judged, and instead there is no year three. Which seems especially weird considering they made finals in year one. For a coach to get fired after year two when year one was a finals appearance, in a situation where you know he wasn't taking over this great team from some coach who had just retired and got off into the sunset or something, is probably unprecedented i don't have the historical context work but it seems like something that wouldn't happen very often if ever which is kind of it kind of says a lot about the level of dysfunction that we're seeing out of Essendon. so i mean what do you even hope for them for this year just don't embarrass themselves don't like sabotage their own people put out a semi-competitive product i mean thankfully we've got a couple younger guys to be looking out for them. Unfortunately, one of them is going to be starting the year on the sidelines. That's Elijah Sadas, whose knee injury will keep him out for probably about the first month of footy. However, father-son pick Alan Davey Jr. has had a very good preseason as well, and he could really be in the mix for round one and just with so little direction at this point from our perspective and probably from most fans' perspective, I at least want to see something new. And Alwyn Davy Jr. would certainly be new. All right. So, with Elijah, I'm just going to remember his name as Sawdust because that actually kind of is what it sounds like. And I think it's more fun than thinking Tatas, which is just like a term that old women use to talk about boobs. He just kind of had one of those poofasher moments where, like, other than Sawdust, Dyson Heppel has a foot injury that's going to keep him out at least for the first game, maybe for the second. We could see Matt Guelphy playing in round one. The calf problem has kept him out of a recent batch of training with the main group. And we sound like a broken record, but Jake Stringer is doubtful because of his hamstring. He's got a very high ceiling, and that's apparent, but he so rarely gets there because he can rarely stay on the oval long enough. And that's why it's so frustrating watching him. Because... When he's there and he's at his best, it's just like, look at how far Essendon can go. And then you remember how infrequently he plays. Most recent injury news for Essendon, though, is that Jai Caldwell sprained his ankle against St. Kilda. Timeline to be confirmed, but it's not considered particularly serious. So he could be in for round one against Hawthorne. Now, that was a fun one two years ago. That was one where... Noted Bombers fan Travis Blackley said they were shitting down their leg against a team that wouldn't sniff finals. Yeah, they led by 40 in that. And remember, they made finals after that. Sleeper pick time. Ethan, who you got? I'm going with a guy who has yet to play in an AFL game, although he was an unused medical sub for his debut, which I remember you were acting like is the worst thing anyone's ever done to anybody ever. The fact that they'd done it twice also, but it was... It was lame, but it, it, it it's it's that it's more than lame. It's just, I don't know, having a debut is an occasion where, you know, the whole family's there, you got, you know, it's a big deal for a lot of people, and then you don't even play. If you're saying somebody's going to make their debut, you might as well promise that they're actually getting in the game. That's actually, that could be a benefit of the new way they're doing the 23rd player. But yeah, that guy is Alistair Lord. Kind of a smaller defender. He only turned 19 in November. And for a team that is searching for answers defensively and has a lot of kind of middle-aged defenders, I think a young guy like him could end up providing a spark in the back end where they really need it. I'm looking on the other half of the oval, really the other 50. I've been really high on Harry Jones for a while, but I consider him a bit of a sleeper because his preseason form has been Pretty poor. And so I think he's just slid under the radar between that and also Sam Wiedemann coming in, because obviously that takes up a bit more of a news item when somebody new is there in a pretty key position because it can't just be Peter Wright as a target. And so I think Wiedemann and Jones are both going to need to improve a lot in order for them to get started on the right foot to whatever they think they're headed toward. Because Jones tends to be a pretty good finish. He just needs to actually be able to to market. I think he needs to really grow in contests. He isn't particularly big. He's 185 centimeters, so 6'1", but he tends to play pretty far up. Ethan, who do the Bombers double up against this year, and how do you see some of that panning out? Got to reach over a sleeping grind to give you that answer. All right, they've got... Collingwood, Geelong, GWS, North, Port Adelaide, and West Coast. Not terrible. Kind of a mix. Um, It is worth noting that their game at Geelong will actually be at Cardinia instead of at the G. Well, that if that holds. That's round 18. So I would think, knock on wood, at least by then, we have an idea of if that stand is going to be usable at all this year and curious what they would do if it's not maybe they'd end up shuffling things around but Geelong already has you know the two home games at the G so I think that's there to stay um during you know I was listening to yank on the footies season preview with one of the members of chaps chat cats and they had said that you know it was like a punishment to us, and it was like you're not good enough you have to go down the road to Geelong um, They have a couple of really nasty stretches on the schedule. Round 5 through Round 10 is pretty ridiculous. So Round 5, they play Melbourne in the... Gather round. Which I think could be interesting as both teams have pretty sizable fan bases everywhere. We've known about Essendon's fan base in the West especially. That's actually Essendon's only like notable site for the year because everything else is just vanilla, normal steams at Marvel and at the G, so really... The only place where it might be a little unusual to see them is Adelaide Oval against Melbourne. Then they've got Anzac Day against Collingwood, then Geelong at the G, at Port, at Brisbane, Dreamtime at the G. And unfortunately, Dreamtime doesn't have its own TV slot because they're going up against Q Clash. It didn't last year either, but I think the one it went up against was less less sexy, but That they only play them once is worth noting because they've lost 13 straight against the Tigers, which I believe is the longest head-to-head streak of any two teams right now in the AFL. And it just irritates me that they put Dreamtime up against Q-Clash because it just makes me think of how low they view Q-Clash right now. Hopefully that's going to change, and hopefully I'll have a reason to have both games on my screens at the same time. Coming out of the bye, rounds 15 through 20 are also pretty nasty. At Frio, Port Adelaide at the G. Then, yeah, the Crows at Marvel, that's a little bit of a step off. But then at Geelong, Bombers at Marvel, Swans at Marvel. It looks terrifying, especially because, you know, they're not expected to go anywhere. They're already toward the bottom of the ladder. and, And the teams that you're mentioning that they're looking up on I don't think it's going to get much friendlier this year. Coming off a seven-win season, I wouldn't be surprised if they're around that mark again. I just, you know, you want them to be less of a shit show in terms of having just one CEO and not throwing a coach under the bus. But even so, if they kind of stay where they are, unless we see like a real road ahead, we'll be sitting there looking and asking what did they make all these changes for to kind of go nowhere? So I'm not expecting them to be a finals team, obviously. I guess there is a path to it, albeit an unlikely one. It would mostly just involve their defense being way, way, way better. But I want to come out of 2023 with optimism about the Bombers for the following two to three years. I want them to be starting something. and I wasn't thinking of Michael Jackson, but now I hear it. All right, here's our last preview for this episode, Benjamin. Hey, it's that team that Essendon for some reason only plays once. And it goes up against the Q Clash. Nice scheduling, AFL. Ooh, we're talking Richmond. Okay. Yeah, good one to end on. You know, we've been pretty favorable of the way they've gone about things with transitioning between eras. And there are definitely some similarities in the Tigers and the Cats in that regard. Now, the question is, can they get back to premiership level during this transition period? I'm going to try to go through this with as little talk as possible about how butthurt they get when they have to play anywhere other than the G. Because in terms of the on-field product, despite the multiple dick-punch losses they suffered last year late in game, I think it was seven blown fourth-quarter leads. The fact is, they still, as an overall product... Made 2021 look like an injury-plagued aberration and showed that they're passing on the torch from generation to generation quite nicely and putting themselves in a position where they should, at the very least, be a finals team or close to it pretty much every year for a really long time, which is pretty damn good. I mean, I would be surprised if they missed finals, but I would expect them to be right around where they were on the ladder. You know, they finished seventh. Maybe push for a top four spot if all goes according to plan, but I can't see them finishing much worse than like, you know, even in worst case scenario, what, like 10th? Maybe, maybe 10th. But the depth was apparent last year, and what I liked about them, and I've said this before, you've said this as well, is that a lot of those younger players are able to play in a lot of different spots. We see that out of Liam Baker in particular, and... We weren't sure at first if Baker was going to be ready to go at the start of the season because he had an appendectomy, but he was probably Richmond's best of field in their preseason game against Melbourne. They lost that one pretty handily, but Baker stood out for all good reasons. He's getting smarter and smarter with his use of the ball, and he did sign on for a couple more years shortly after last season ended, and so that was a big one to to keep an out-of-state player there to really factor into this next flag push. I was wondering if Frio would really have a go at him with him having played at Subiaco in the waffle, but he's committed to things with Richmond, and why wouldn't he be considering the success he's already had there? Unfortunately, another one of those flexible pieces will be out for the first month of the season, that being Josh Gibkiss, who suffered a hamstring injury. I really liked him last year, so that's pretty unfortunate. Other injuries, Caleb Smith, who was the 49th pick of the draft, will be out six to eight weeks with a foot injury, and Robbie Tarrant will be in doubt for round one with a hip injury, but Trent Cotchin's good to go. Yeah, just quickly about Tarrant being out, that's a case where you could definitely see Noah Balta being swung back a bit more, or maybe my sleeper could factor in, I'll mention him in a bit, but yeah. For some reason, it's only a $1,500 fine to give someone a, a forearm to what looked to be the neck because that's what Cochin did to James Harms and his amazing smile. I remember you talking about Harms' as like perfect teeth or something in the past. Yeah, I think he talked about it himself on like his Instagram bio or something. You know, this is another case where the AFL seems like they'd rather punish... Innocent mistakes in the run of play than deliberate acts that have nothing to do with actually playing football. And it's something that I think they get horribly wrong. And sometimes it feels like they're trying to just outdo the NHL in terms of like completely butchering suspensions. And also making sure that like notable players get their way too, because even though Cotchin is, you know, nowhere near the browlow form he was a decade ago. He's a triple premiership captain, and this is probably his final season. He's now racked up $11,000 in fines, which is a lot, and yet he's never been suspended. I, it, it feels like he's just, you know, they're letting him keep up his reputation at this point, which if it's Toby Green, he's out for eight weeks. Exactly. But yeah, Cochin is probably on his last legs this year. If not this, then next. And Jack Revolt may be on his way out after this year. He was open with having considered retirement this past summer. So, just the transition is going to continue. And in the midfield, at least they've added a couple more pieces to help with that transition with the trade they pulled with Greater Western Sydney. I've spoken my piece on Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper. They're going to be in the mix right away, of course. And Taranto is probably going to be the more visible player just because that's how it was at GWS. He's not going to need to be. One of the top guys, though, because there's going to be more supporting him than just Steven Canelio. He will have to make up in the eyebrow department, though. I'm going to go first with my sleeper because I already led into it a bit, and I think I could see where Ethan's is going. I'm going with Ben Miller. Miller played about half the season last year, a little more than half, I think, was a backup ruck option and has been increasingly be used as a forward target as well. He actually has pretty good speed his size, which I like, because you don't associate Ruckman with any sort of great speed, but he moves very, very well for being 198 centimeters or six feet, six inches. And I think he's been improving and improving at the same time. It looks like Yvonne Soldo has plateaued. And we've seen what Soldo can do at his peak and how much he factored into things in their 2019 premiership. And I've watched a decent amount of their 2019 games just kind of begin to learn a bit more about Richmond once we got Watch AFL a couple years back. So I'd seen a decent amount of Soldo's game, but I haven't seen that level from him consistently in the time that we've been watching live. And yet, Miller's currently playing in reserves? I feel like something's got to give at some point and that Ben will get his shot with the main side. As should Hugo Ralph Smith, who's currently playing in the twos, and I bet he's your sleeper, Ethan. He's actually not, but that he's playing in the twos is kind of ridiculous. That's Grand Finals French champion Hugo Ralph Smith. I nearly forgot. And yeah, it is worth mentioning him, but I was actually going to go with a very inexperienced guy, like even more inexperienced. And I don't know if he's ever going to even really find a way to crack the list, but I'm going with Mate Colina. So, yeah. For those uh, who don't know about Mate Colina, the Rainbow Warrior, yes. He played college basketball at Hawaii. He is 7 feet tall, so he would be the tallest player in AFL history if he plays. Or is he tied with Mason Cox and Aaron Sandalins? Is he listed at 211 or 212? He's listed at 211. Okay, so we'd be tying Mason. Yeah, I mean, he's just also in that ruck spot. He's a Category B rookie. going to be tough for him to to crack things. And when I said Rainbow Warrior, by the way, that's because that is the University of Hawaii's mascot. It's an awesome mascot. But yeah, he's my pick. Last year, he didn't even have like a regular profile photo on the roster like the rest of the guys, kind of like you would see for some of the guys from the midseason draft. This year, he's got a photo that matches everyone else's, which I've decided means that he's getting taken more seriously. Hopefully that's the case. I want to see this basketball pipeline continue with the skill set that can be present. From. We saw it with Mason. We saw it with Tom Fullerton, former basketballer. I also like it because it can help open up more avenues for people, you know, for Americans to get there. Even if it's, you know, in this case, Kalina's from Australia, like most of his college teammates were American. And it can just, you know, if people see him playing, I think it could open things up. This is a case where, like, that idea of exposure actually matters. Not getting paid in exposure, but just, like, legitimate exposure to the game. Other guy I want to mention, even though he only played in one game, is Bigoa Nyon. I'm not sure how. Nyon? I... A lot of people just called him Big Onion. Is it Nyon? I think that's close. But I, yeah, I'm glad, he, I'm glad he got his debut. Either way, he seemed cool. His family seemed cool. I think... I forget if it was Roaming that that he got... The spotlight on or I don't think it was because I don't think it was a Friday night game but I liked him. Yeah there's actually one more guy that I want to mention as well it's because I paid attention to him in the preceding game against Melbourne. He played three quarters in the VFL game before then was taken out because they I guess wanted him to spell Tom Lynch in the fourth of the AFL hit out and that's Samson Ryan who is definitely going to contend for a key spot if not right away this year. Probably at some point later in the season, he needs to find his kicking form a bit, but very aggressive going up in the air. And also he had this like boxing-like warm-up at three-quarter time that caught a lot of people's attention. So he can't be a sleeper if a lot of people are noticing him this quickly, but it's just fun stuff to see. And I like seeing, you know, the young guys getting their shot in the preseason actually running with it, or in this case, punching with it. As for the Tigers' schedule, their double-ups come against not Essendon, like we said, and not Carlton either, but Melbourne, Port Adelaide, St. Kilda, Sydney, West Coast, and the Bulldogs, which is pretty fair balance, I think. I guess you could trend a little bit towards tougher, depending on your perception of Port Adelaide, but I mean, it's not generally fair for their point on the ladder. Not great, not terrible. It's, I'd say it's around 3.6, Röntgen. 3.6, not great, not terrible. Going by points and percentage, both, they're around the eighth toughest schedule, so it's pretty much on line with where they finished last year. If we're going by, you know, points assigned from their ladder position, it would be sixth, which I think is also kind of more accurate for where where it is in terms of difficulty. It's just kind of weird that they're only playing so many of the other big Melbourne clubs just once. Collingwood, Essendon, Carlton, Hawthorne, Geelong. So this is a bit of a strange year in scheduling for the Tigers, but even though their games last year didn't quite have the same level of fire to them, I do love that they're playing Port Adelaide twice. They did that last year too, I think. And I like that they're playing Sydney twice because of the way... Their game against them ended last year. Oh, yeah, that was the... Sydney held on to win by six when they thought that Chad Warner should have been given a 50 for kicking the ball to the stands on the siren. I guess, what was it? I think he didn't hear a free kick that was given to Dion Prestia. And speaking of Prestia, some late injury news there. So it's confirmed now that Prestia suffered a straight peck against Melbourne, and that's why he left that game He remains a chance to play in the season opener against Carlton and hopefully he can stay on the oval because last year was the first time in a few seasons that he'd really gotten a consistent stretch of games in and I think at this point with Dustin Martin's move to forward, it's fair to say that Prestia is their most important player in the middle third and I think he was rough to miss out on the 40-man squad for the All-Australian team last year. Also important to note that Jaden Short has a left calf strain and he may not be available for round one either. So just adding to the mix there. Knowing how pectoral injuries work, if he misses a game, and again, this is a strain, not a tear, but if he misses a game, will the team hold up his Guernsey and say, with us tonight and always? All right, this probably requires some explaining because this is kind of a niche thing, but It, it absolutely does. I mean, I don't know how many Australian fans follow the um chicago white Sox. yeah so basically in spring training 2021 one of their players Eloy Jimenez Torres pectoral trying to rob a home run in a spring training game and then for their season opener they had his jersey hanging up in the dugout and they held it with them on the field during introductions and they the team tweeted you know with us tonight and always as if he fucking died He died doing what he loved, trying to rob a homer in a game that didn't count. The the highlight, though, and I haven't bookmarked on Twitter. Someone designed like a, you know, someone photoshopped a grave stuff like a headstone and said, you know, Eloy Jimenez, March 2021 to August 2021. Ripped a teddy. I forgot that happened against the A's. Is that why you're so fascinated with it? Or is it just, no, it was just really funny. The the whole thing with the jersey they did against the Angels, by the way. Yeah. But yeah, he tried to rob a Sean Murphy-Hover and ripped a titty. And again, this was in spring training in Arizona. You know, I'd rather have teams like be able to joke about that, you know, if the player's okay with it, than having, say, an official team or league Twitter account posting a black and white photo of a player for their debut. That was Essendon, right? Yes, that was Essendon. It was Ben Hobbs. Which is why we call him. Oh yeah, not dead, the- dead, dead. Or um, what was it? The NBA Players Association did it as well. For what C.J. McCollum was named their vice president. Which is like did C.J. McCollum? No, he didn't die. Never mind. I also really like the tweet from Clutch Points, which I think is a betting app, of like all of the British athletes looking up at the Queen in heaven, including OG, Ananobi and Lu Aldeng. But this is real. Yes, Google. Clutch Points Queen tweet. Right now. Luol Deng, by the way, I believe he's the president of the South Sudanese Basketball Federation? I don't know. I just like the meme. You thought Luol Deng wouldn't appear in the comments. You were wrong. Well, you thought Luol Deng wouldn't appear in this episode. You are wrong! Yeah, these players were alive in this. Like, David Beckham was in this too. It's not even that. It was just the whole thing. We never got to this. The Tigers as should be expected, don't have any games at alternate sites. They do have one home game at Marvel, that's round seven against the Suns. And Damian Hardwick will be heard bitching from, um, right now. Round seven's really the first game where they might be able to read a little bit depending on how the Suns are doing because their first six rounds by comparison, and even not by comparison, they just are a gauntlet. You're starting with the Blues, then you have to go to Adelaide, and that didn't work out for them last year. You're the road team against Collingwood round three. Then the Tigers host the Bulldogs round four. They've had a couple of good back and forth games the past couple of years. Then they play the Swans in the Gather round at the Adelaide Oval. That should be a fun one. Hopefully good crowds for each team out in South Australia for that. And then they come back to Melbourne for round six for the Anzac Eve game against the Demons, and that's going to be on a Monday night. We're going to have a round spread from Friday to Tuesday this year for Anzac round because Anzac Day falls on a Tuesday, lest we forget. It just sounds cool. Next year, I can see the Anzac games maybe starting around because with 2024 being a leap year, you would have the Anzac Eve game fall on a Wednesday night and then Anzac Day Thursday afternoon. So, no, we do get Wednesday footy again. Haven't seen that since the opening game of last season, which was disappointing in attendance, and that's why they didn't do it again. I believe the opener has now sold out for general seating for Richmond and Carlton. But I remember 2020, we had a decent amount of Wednesday games because there, were, there was that stretch about a month long, I think, where there was footy pretty much every night. And the American networks carried it every night. And it was beautiful. And, you know, that really helped us get into the game, just having something consistent to watch when the other sports were maybe just starting up. And, of course, you know, it didn't have any competition on the airwaves because we're a good 17 hours off Melbourne time for most of the season. By the way, for American viewers, there is now the beginnings of a schedule for US TV we have at least parts of the first three rounds available. Unfortunately, Showdown is only going to be on Fox Soccer Plus, and that's a real bugger. The opening game will also only be on Fox Soccer Plus. All the more reason to get Watch AFL or an international club membership. Yeah, it's an absolute steal. It's well under a dollar a game. You got Fox footy 24-7, not to mention replays going back currently I believe to 2017 and you know this is not a paid advertisement it's just been a great gateway for us to get to know more about the game if you are a Collingwood fan though or a Bulldogs fan you seem to be in luck because each of their first three games will be on Fox Sports 2 and for some reason the first FS1 game this year the only one right now to be officially scheduled is the eagles of the giants in round two maybe it's one of those you know it's like to say yes you too can play footy that i think that used to be the logic like when some of the really bad red wings teams were getting national tv it was like see it's so easy anyone can do it so we had everything in this episode that a footy podcast needs a whole lot of sound bites and lul dang Anyway, if you want to find us and yell at Benjamin to edit faster so we get more episodes up, yell at us on Twitter, at AmericansBuddy. Yell at him, at BenjaminHK01. You can also yell at Ethan if you want to for any reason. And there are some good reasons, but I'm not going to lengthen this episode by a great stretch to explain them. At Castle Media, as he always says, that's Castle with a K. So many people mispronounce or misspell our last names. By the way, it's Almost funny, but not. And then Grian Harambe the footy cat is on Instagram at cat named Brian. So one down, two to go in this home and away preview, and we'll have those and then a real round one preview to look at those matchups ahead of the first game on March 16th. Also, anytime you have feedback, if you want to say that you agree with us, if you think we're stupid, if there's something we didn't consider, throw it at us, whether it's on... Twitter, in the YouTube comments, wherever. We really do enjoy feedback. Yeah, you can also even uh, give it into Spotify uh, replies if you listen on Spotify. That's a, a nice feature as well. And there's always the option to support us as well. There is a link on our Anchor page. Anchor is the platform through which we post all of this. And you heard the ad read earlier. A link should be in the description on any platform. Yeah, remember, we don't do this full-time. If you give us a shit ton of money, we can do this full-time. So get on it.